0: Morning again. It's on. Uh, if you haven't been with us for a while or if you're visiting, we've been in the book of Ecclesiastes for a little over two months. And this morning we're wrapping it up. We've been on this journey with a guy named Kohelet. I wonder, you know, with Halloween right around the corner, anyone going as Kohelet for <laughs> Halloween? <laughs> I think, I think Kohelet would have been into Halloween. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of the most, the, the most hubbly of the uh, the holidays. Um, so, you, you might remember that when we first started, the way Ecclesiastes is structured is, it starts with a narrator who who introduces us to the book, introdu- introduces us to Kohelet, and now here at the very end, uh, the narrator steps back in, and he appraises Kohelet's quest. And I don't know about you, but a part of me wants the narrator to say something along the lines of, all right, deep breath, good news, everyone. Uh, it's, it's really not that bad. <laughs> uh, like, Kohelet was off track. His quest was misguided. It's not all Hebel after all. Like, maybe the narrator will point out that Kohelet set out to investigate everything under the sun, but God's not under the sun. God's up in heaven. And if, God, and if Kohelet had only brought God into the picture, well, then he would have had a much more positive outlook. Kind of want the narrator to say something like that. Kind of to speak words of reassurance and hope. To, to come alongside us and, like, gently wake us up as if from a bad dream. Well, let's pray. And then we'll read. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful that it's true, even when it's hard. Uh, And we're grateful for Ecclesiastes. Thank you that this is a part of your word to us. We want to be people who have ears to hear and uh, minds to receive and um, wills that are eager to obey. And Holy Spirit, we know that That all really depends on you at work in us. And so we pray, would you come and fill us? Help us to hear your word. Help us to see Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. So this is Ecclesiastes chapter 12, starting at verse 8, going through verse 14. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails, firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh." The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. So, uh, here at the end, the narrator is summing things up for us. And, And does he undo any of what Kohelet has told us? No, he doesn't. Instead, he actually affirms that, uh, he affirms what we've been saying all along. Ecclesiastes is true. Ecclesiastes is true. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Um, That that verse 8 there, it perfectly echoes the opening of the book, chapter 1, verse 2. The narrator, you remember, told us in the very beginning, how this would all play out. He told us how Kohelet's quest would end. It would end, he said, with the conclusion that all is vanity. And now, sure enough, uh, the quest has ended, and that conclusion is reinforced. All is vanity. Vanity of vanity. Hebel. Remember, that's the word. Everyone say it. Hebel. Hebel. And you remember what it means. It literally means like vapor or smoke. I mean, and and so think about that image. Uh, Smoke. You know, it's... It's uh, constantly shape shifting. It looks solid, but as soon as you try to grasp it, it slips through your fingers. It's not predictable. Like when you're in the midst of it, you can't see uh, what's around you. And, And Kohelet has shown us week after week, again and again, that life is like that, that it is pebble. It's confusing, it's confounding, it's frustrating, it's baffling. It's a downright enigma. Some, some translations say everything is futile. Some say everything is meaningless. Some say it's all absurd. It's all absurd. Vanity of vanities. And now, you see, is the narrator's chance to step in and say, ah, but chin up, chin up. Yes, Kohelet says vanity of vanities, but he just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. It's not really that bad. But no, no. Look at verses 9 and 10. Besides being wise, the preacher, that's Kohelet, Kohelet also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly, he wrote words of truth. You see, the narrator, he doesn't discredit Kohelet at all. Instead, he affirms and he reinforces Kohelet's observations and conclusions. All is vanity, says Kohelet, and now the narrator says, that's wise. That's true. The narrator doesn't undermine Kohelet's message, he upholds it. Now look at verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings, they are given by one shepherd. And so it's like the narrator is saying you've probably been really uncomfortable with a lot of what Kohelet has shown us and taught us. Um, Like this journey has not always been uh, the most enjoyable journey and 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 now the narrator is saying that's by design that that was intentional because kohela is like a shepherd and he's poking and he's prodding his sheep and and we've we've felt that haven't we uh that kohela has forced us to face like just the baffling truth of human experience like the futility of work you remember that the, the relentless march of time uh the vacuity of pleasure persistence of injustice, the inevitability of death. Like, Kahala has just been taking us and saying, look, he's poking us, prodding us, wake up, this is reality, this is the world you live in, this is the world as it really is. It hasn't been a comfortable journey, but now the narrator wants to make sure that we see it has been for our good. You know, shepherds, uh, at least good shepherds, they they don't poke and prod their sheep for the fun of it. They, they they poke and prod their sheep either to wake them up or to get them moving in the right direction remember that's what kohelet's goal has been with us like to wake us up to reality as it actually is so that we can live wisely and well in this beautiful befuddling mess of a world we've got and so even though we're finishing our exploration of Ecclesiastes this morning I uh, We shouldn't be too quick to leave it behind. Uh, Ecclesiastes really is true, and it's good to affirm the truth truth of it. And I wonder, I wanted to, I don't know if this will work, but I wanted to just create a little bit of space, maybe just a couple of minutes for anyone. I'm wondering if you would just take a second or two and think, like, what is it um, journeying through Ecclesiastes? Like, what has God given you that you really want to hang on to? You want to say, "Yeah, I'm taking that with me. Um, I don't want to leave this this truth behind. I want to I want to let this shape how I move forward from here." I have a whole list of things, so it doesn't <laughs> depend on you. I'm gonna I'm gonna share my list anyway, but but um, I wanted to give you a chance if you feel so led to share. What well, you think about it? While I uh, while I list off some of my things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Pat. That's like the one. Like that's one of the things you certainly won't be able to hold on to. <laughs> um, it, it, one of the things that I'm going to keep with me is just the. Um, Uh, like, the recognition and the the deep appreciation that um, God wants this in the Bible. Which is just weird when you think about it. I mean, there's so, Kohela is so um, dark and questioning and full of doubt and even despair and um, not very hopeful about God at all. And it reminds me that, like, the God of the Bible is just okay with that like okay with real wrestling and real doubts and real questions, that God doesn't need us to be people who are always quick with answers that sound faithful and pious, and that, in fact, God might want to disrupt a lot of those quick and easy answers. He might want to dislodge us from some of our comfortable places where we've been camping out. And so so one of the things that I want to keep with me is that Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, um, this reminder that uh, struggle, disorientation, even even despair, uh, can actually be like very normal parts of the Christian life. Very normal parts of the life of faith. Uh, and, and so, so I've I have felt a challenge studying Ecclesiastes to like, uh, be be more open with my questions, be less sure of my quick and easy answers, um, get a little bit more comfortable with mystery. Ecclesiastes says, better to have a faith that's hard but true than a faith that's simple and false. You remember, um, I don't remember which week I mentioned this, it might have been the first week, but Martin Luther, you know, the great reformer Martin Luther, he said, read Ecclesiastes every day. Every day, just read Ecclesiastes. And he said that because this book so firmly rejects like pious, and sentimental religiosity, and Luther wanted nothing to do with that. So he said, hey, just take a daily dose of Ecclesiastes, and it'll, it, it'll be a nice little reality check for you. So I'm going to take that with me. I'm not going to read the book every day, don't worry. But I, I, I am going to take that with me. And then um, related to all of that, like I want what we've learned in Ecclesiastes to guide more and more how I relate to others who are struggling. Uh, Like, I don't want to be like Job's friends uh, who were so quick to rush in with the right answers. Um, Quick and easy answers, Ecclesiastes uh, has shown us, just they don't have a place in a world that is really hebel. It's like quick and easy answers don't work. Better to come alongside people who are struggling and just to sit with them, maybe in the darkness, and, and maybe to cry with them, maybe to weep and lament with them. Um, and then one, one other thing I want to keep with me is I just want to remember this quest that Kohelet went on uh, and, and to remember that it ultimately did fail. I mean, when he turned to pleasure and possessions and wisdom and wealth and work, he found that like, none of these things could really satisfy uh, this, this profound longing for meaning that he had. None, none, none could provide solid meaning for his life. Um, Look at verse 12. He says, this is the narrator, he says, My son, beware of anything beyond these. In other words, beware of anything beyond what we've just heard from Kohelet, of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. What's that about? Um, I think what the narrator is saying is something along the lines of, like, you can really take Kohelet's word for this. You don't need to go beyond him and exploring the absurdities of life. Remember, Kohelet had like all the resources of a king at his disposal. He had you know, all the wealth, all the time, all, all the knowledge necessary, and, and all of that to try to get to the bottom of the hebel, and he could not do it. And so now the narrator is saying like, don't try to outdo him, you can't. He has gone farther than you can possibly go and he has come up empty. And so it would just be foolish for you to come along and like try to add another book to the book that he's already given you. To repeat his quest, hoping for a different outcome. That would be insane. You don't have to re- repeat the quest. We have the benefit of having just joined Kohelet on his quest and we can take his word for it. We can learn from Kohelet's quest without imitating it. And so I wanted to take that with me. Um, and remember that, like, gosh, all of these little longings i might have to try to pursue pleasure or or wisdom or to find meaning in work it's like kohelet has been there and done that and it comes up empty it comes up empty so i don't need to repeat his quest ecclesiastes is true it's true and here at the end maybe it is the whole truth look at verse 13 The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is remarkable, I think. Uh, The end of the matter, the narrator says, all has been heard. and, And what have we heard? Well, we've heard vanity of vanities. It's all Hubble. And that's the end of the matter. And so, how do we live wisely and well? How do we make our way in the world in light of all the hebel? The narrator's answer is so straightforward. Um, How do you live in a world that is full of absurdity and futility and um, that doesn't make any sense at all? The answer is, you do what God's people have always done. Um, You fear God, and you keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Literally, it says, for this is the whole Adam. This is the whole Adam, to fear God and to keep his commandments. In other words, like, this is humanity's reason for being. This is the whole point of being a human. And so maybe here at the end, Ecclesiastes is the whole truth. In light of all the Hebel, do what humanity has always been called to do. Fear God and keep his commandments. Now, let's dig into that a little bit. Because when we hear that, fear God and keep his commandments, this is the whole, whole atom. This is the whole duty of man. Like, that might not exactly warm the heart. (laughs) Fearing God sounds like being afraid of God. And, And keeping commandments sounds like cold, calculated obedience. And is that our reason for existing? To be scared of God. Well, that sounds not great. Especially with Halloween right around the corner. that That's an idea for another costume. <laughs> I don't know what it would look like exactly, but you could dress up as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Is, is this the scariest, scariest costume possible for Halloween? What we might miss, but what an ancient Israelite would have known right away, is that um, these are profoundly relational terms. I'll give you just one example. I was reading Psalm 25 a few days ago, and in that psalm we read this. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. Friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. And and the point is not that if you're scared enough of God, He'll be your friend. That's not what fearing God is about. Fearing God is about like this rich relationship characterized by reverence and awe and love and worship. And so the point is that to fear God and to be God's friend are just like the same thing, or one and the same. To those who fear God in the biblical sense just are God's friends. And the same is true with keeping God's commandments. You know, this isn't a cold, calculated obedience. This is about relational love. You remember, you remember Jesus was once asked by the religious leaders, uh, which is the most important of, of the commandments. And he, he begins by quoting from the Old Testament, from the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the point is just like, you should love, you should love the Lord with all of, all of whatever you have and all that you are. And he doesn't stop there. Jesus doesn't. He goes on and he quotes from Leviticus chapter 19. And he says, And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so Jesus, when he's asked about, like, what's, what's the most important of God's commandments? He says, it's love. It's loving God and it's loving people. He's saying, this is what God's commandments are all about. This is, this is like at the center of the center of everything. To use the language of Ecclesiastes, this is the whole Adam. This is the whole Adam. This is the point and purpose of humanity. Um, this is what it means to be a human being. Like we were made to be lovers of God and lovers of people. And, and Jesus says, on these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. In other words, it's not that God has just a ton of commandments and a bunch of them have nothing to do with love, but the ones that are about love are the really important ones. No, Jesus is saying that um, if you pay attention, that love is actually, um, that that love defines what it means to keep all of God's commandments, that all of God's commandments are basically about love, and that if you want to know what love looks like, a good way to do that is to look at God's commandments. This is what love looks like. In Romans 13, the Apostle Paul, he just comes out and he says it. He says, you remember, he says, love is the fulfilling of the law. You love, you have fulfilled the law. And that's it. I mean, keeping the commandments isn't about cold calculated obedience, it is about relational love. And, and so here in our passage, what is the narrator saying? He's saying something like, you have now gone uh, to the very edge, like you have peered with Kohelet into the abyss, it does not get any worse. It doesn't get any worse. But even here, with, with the deep, dark Hebel fully in view, you're just to continue on as God's people have always done. Fear God and keep his commandments. In other words, in light of all the Hebel, given that the world really is this beautiful, befuddling, holy, horrible thing, the way to live wisely and well It's the same as it's always been. Love God. and Love people. Now, why? What reason does the narrator give? It's not a trick question. It's right there in verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil. Well, maybe that's not the way you were hoping this would end. Fear God and keep his commandments because judgment is coming. Well, we've talked about this fairly recently. Um, remember that we're, that for a world of Hebel, like a world that is just full of um, all kinds of absurdity and all kinds of absurd evil, mixed right in with all of the, the beauty and the good. Um, judgment, God's judgment, is profoundly good news. You remember, we, we uh, read this quote from N.T. Wright. He puts it like this, he says, in a world of systematic injustice, bullying, violence, arrogance, oppression, the thought that there might come a day when the wicked are firmly put in their place and the poor and weak are given their due, is the best news there can be. I mean, without judgment, uh, evil just endures forever and ever and ever. The Hebel has no end. And, and so judgment, family, is the world's only hope. Do You see that? Judgment is the world's only hope. We need one who is really good and really wise to come and sort out this mess of a world we've got. And to sort us out to sort me out to sort you out because when you're honest like you know this so you recognize this that the line like dividing good from evil like it absolutely doesn't run down the border of Israel and Gaza right doesn't run down the border of Texas and Mexico like the line dividing good and evil it just it swirls around in every human heart Like, we are just really mixed bags when it comes to loving God and loving others well. And so if the point of being a human is to fear God and keep his commandments, like, we have to say we have often missed the point. Like, if that's what the whole Adam looks like, we have to say we have fallen far, far short. We've fallen far short just like The first Adam did, and every Adam since then. It's like, maybe we're not the true human beings. Maybe we're not the whole Adam, not yet. We need God's judgment to come and to sort us out and to set us right. And so let's pan out and remember that even though Ecclesiastes is true, and even though here at the end, it is actually the whole truth. It's still not the whole, whole truth. Can I do that? Yeah. And the reason it's not the whole, whole truth is that you're not the whole Adam. And neither am I. If we stop with the end of Ecclesiastes, as true as it is, we're just thrown back on, upon ourselves, aren't we? Uh, we're left with whatever love for God and others we're able to muster And I know in my own life that that is not a very solid foundation. And so family, um, we remember Jesus Christ. You see, the narrator is right. The end of the matter is love, Um, but it's not your love. It's the love of the whole Adam, the new Adam, the true human, like the only one who has faithfully, truly, loved god with all his soul mind heart and strength the only one who with unswerving consistency has loved his neighbor as himself um, even to the point of laying down his life for us and, and remember family that that is god's judgment this is the judgment of god that is god sorting through this mess of a world we've got and setting it right like he doesn't do it at a distance he does it by entering into the mess by going to the deepest darkest places of it and by by taking it all onto himself and into himself and really bearing it and then bearing it away and dealing with it his judgment is his love and so fear God and keep his commandments live a life of love because Jesus is your judge, and he is for you in his judgment. This is the end of the matter. the The whole Adam. The whole Adam, the true human being, like he sees you. And he knows you. And he loves you, um, completely. And so he he brings you into judgment, to sort you out. And to set you right. And he will do it. He invites you to trust him with that. He invites you. Uh, you remember in John fifteen, he invites you to abide in him, as uh, the branches of abide in the vine. And if you if you read along and you ask, well, what does that look like to abide in Jesus? And Jesus says, it looks like obeying him and keeping his commandments. It looks like loving him. And, and so you're invited not to like this cold calculating. Task of do's and don'ts. You're you're invited to like a table to feast with the lover of your souls. You're you're invited to to come along this come alongside the one who dwells with you, who wants to make his home with you. Like this is the end of the matter. This is at the center of the center of everything. When you come to this table, um, come fearing God. But don't come scared of God. Don't come being afraid of God. Um, I was talking to one of you before the service, just the, just sharing, like, wrestling with shame and um, feeling unworthy and, and wondering, oh, what does God think of me and how will God receive me and. um I think we can trust Jesus when he gives us stories like that one about the dad whose son has like betrayed him and wounded him and run off into the far country and um, and who was afraid to come back and who was scared of the kind of welcome he would receive and so he came up with like that huge elaborate plan of like repentance and but it was it was half-hearted repentance it was pseudo repentance it was like repentance that was cold and calculating, because it was all about like just getting a place in the household as a as a servant. Didn't even consider that his dad might want him to be like a dearly beloved son, or like a dear friend who can just share a meal with them. But you remember that the dad is there, and he's just like every day that the son is gone, he's on the edge of town, scanning the horizon, waiting. waiting for the sun to come home. See, that's the end of the matter. You don't have to run and hide from this God. This God is so eager to welcome you in love. To say, I see you. I know you. Yeah, there's probably a lot that needs to be sorted out. You are a mess. You have have the good and the bad swirling around in your heart. And you are welcome. So let's pray. And then let's see.